Hey listeners, this is Dan, the producer of Useful Idiots, and before we get into the show, we just have a quick editor's note. In this episode, our guest John Kiriakou states that Matthew Cole gave a classified name to Guantanamo Bay defense attorneys, and that the FBI was able to identify Kiriakou as the source through a connection back to Cole. Matthew Cole categorically denies all of these allegations and further denies that he helped or provided any information to the FBI. Matthew Cole also denies other characterizations by Kiriakou of the events, and we have edited the segment to better reflect what's on the record about this case. That's it. Let's get into the show. Welcome to Useful Idiots. I am Matt Taibbi. I'm Katie Halper. And a lot of things happened last week. A lot of things did happen last week. And we'll get to like two of them. Yeah, at least. Yeah. So we have an interesting show. We're going to have a former CIA officer, John Kiriakou, on. A controversial figure, a former whistleblower. is going to talk to us about a bunch of things. His story is kind of relevant to a few things that are going on in the news lately. So it's going to be interesting to talk to him about that. Yeah. Also, some uh, some stuff going on with people that we know. Yeah, uh, Max Blumenthal. Uh, uh, Max Blumenthal, a reporter. I think it's sort of it's on us to sort of raise awareness about this. It's on it, us. Yeah, yeah. Because I don't I don't see um, more reporters should be nervous about what happened. Yeah, and, right. Uh, we see. We'll not. get to that. But it's like the Assange factor, where right. there's an ick factor. Right, yeah, right. So no one, no one's rising yeah. to his defense, right. and they should because this, this is a freaky little incident that yeah. happened. So let's get to the uh, the four food groups. Right. Uh, we have four, only four stories. Republicans suck. Democrats suck. Isn't that terrible? Isn't that weird? And we have a lot. I mean, as always, a lot of Republicans suck. But what do we have for this week? Uh, so today, I thought I'd focus on uh, the story about Katie Hill, the California Democratic Congresswoman. Crazy story, yeah. Yeah, and she um, she's announced that she's going to resign because she did admit to having a relationship with a campaign aide before coming into office, but um, also she's basically the victim of revenge porn. She has a dick of an ex-husband. He should get her big dick energy of the week prize, probably. (laughs) She's a big dick energy bearer. Okay, I want to stop you right there. If you run for Congress, I just think you have to take into account that your entire past is potentially going to revenge porn you. Right? Yeah, revenge porn by her past. Yeah, but I also don't think it should be grounds for... No, I don't think so either. I think this whole thing was crazy. Yeah, yeah. and like, so, okay, so her... The thing is that this whole thing with the relationship with the aide, the the husband says that they were in a thruple. A thruple. Yeah, he and the aide and and Katie Hill. Okay. That's a three-person couple. A thruple. Yeah. So that's like a continuous, it's not like a menage, it's not just no, a No, I guess, right, it's thing. more of a relationship. So they, do you go out together? Who picks up the check? I don't know, unclear. Right? That's a good question. Yeah. Well, hopefully the husband. Right. Because I would like him to suffer as much as possible. So they were in, they were in a thruple. Yes. And somebody got cut out? Oh, maybe the husband. I don't know, honestly. But the husband's okay. very mad. Maybe it's because okay. of that. Right. But the reason we know about this is because Red State Org, that heinous right-wing uh, website, and the Daily Mail, which is a heinous, just like a political website, uh, from, like from the England. Daily Mail. Yeah, the British one. I have which gives for the us Daily a, Mail. You have? Yes. Wow. Yeah, yeah, a long time ago. Though. Well, you, yeah. besides your piece, a heinous. I mean, I was uh, just uh, that was from Russia. I was just sending them stuff. You know. Secrets no, about no, the no, United no, States. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they published these things of her, photos of her, and uh, she has accused the husband, rightly, I think, of a smear campaign built around cyber exploitation. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, you have people at Red State now tweeting, um, like, endorse. So she resigned, right? Right. And now you have people at Red State who are tweeting about how 
people should vote for her opponent. So this, this, the, the journalist at Red State who wrote about this said, um, she tweeted, if you want to help us flip Katie Hill for CA's former seat back to red, please learn about Mike Garcia 2020 and contribute to his campaign. She's an editor of Red State, the person who tweeted this, which is like a little bit, I mean, way to wait, wear your agenda on your sleeves. Right. I guess I kind of almost admire it. I just hate this kind of politics. This is, this is, this is just yeah. disgusting politics. Like, let's just do whatever we can to get this person out of office and and then we'll put our person in there for whatever yeah. disgusting political reason they want to do that. And I mean, also, she should have stayed. She shouldn't have resigned. I don't have. blame her, though. I kind of blame the party. So this is one of those Republicans suck, but also kind of Dems suck. Yeah, they should have. they, they have spine, yeah. Right. And also, you they're luck. I mean, you almost don't have to deal. You almost don't have to deal with the relationship thing because it's so shrouded in the revenge porn mm-hmm. that all they could do, they all they needed to do would be defend her on the revenge porn front, and then right. that other thing is kind of taken care of. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the only thing you can say is that you know, technically speaking, when a boss has a relationship with you know somebody that they're who's working for him or her, right. that it's never. Co- just clearly sure. a private matter, yeah. right? So you, you you could make that argument, but that's not the argument they made, right? They made, yeah, the argument they made is it's just like a tawdry thing, and that you yeah. should you should bow out because it's like ugly or something like right. that, which I, I I totally disagree with. Yeah, and this is where we could take a page from Trump, honestly. Yeah, well, be like just who like you know, I mean, not like hate immigrants and Muslims. I mean, take a page from Trump, as in like whatever. Right. Yeah, exactly. Put it put it on the list of nine thousand other things I've done wrong. Like you yeah, know, get, and, get in and line. it's not yeah. comparable at all. You know, and he's you know whatever he has extra marital affairs and. Uh, well, I mean, you're you're actually you're making a joke about that, but that's actually one of the things that people like about Trump. Right, I know. So yeah. why well, maybe we could get into that area? Yeah, the Dems yeah. could could uh, try to catch up there. I think I, people actually should go out of their way to do something. Me too. They should annoying. make it up, even if it's not true. Right, I did something really obnoxious, yeah. and I'm going to stay in office no matter what. Yeah. Yeah. So. So uh, for Democrats suck, we have, uh, so much. this is, yeah, there was a lot, but the, this, um, the editorial by Rahm Emanuel in the Washington Post, which I think was, first of all, he's just a classically terrible person, yeah. Rahm Emanuel. He's, he's just unlikable. Didn't he put a dog head on someone's uh, doorstep? Did he? A dog or a fish. Okay. I'll look into it. Yeah. yeah, we should look into that. So uh, so he writes an editorial for the Washington Post. Someone needs to say it. Medi- Medicare for all is a pipe dream, which is just a, you know. Someone needs to say it? Like yeah, it's never it, been said yeah, before? Yeah, it's like it hasn't been said by five, ten, you know, 10 million people on, in every major press organ. But there's a couple of annoying things. He says, when it comes to health care reform, Democrats need to mind three basic rules. Uh, first, experience teaches us that as much as Americans hate the status quo, they're not too excited about change either. So this is the person who was the, the, the right-hand man for the change candidate. Yeah, he's you're right. He's basically telling us that, yeah, so let's not, get over, let's not go over over that change thing. Because actually, when you get right down to it, Americans don't really want change. Which I is, guess he would know because he yeah, worked guess, on that campaign, I guess right? he would know. And so the other thing about this that's really obnoxious is, and so he goes through all the reasons we shouldn't have Medicare for all, and and uh, but he, you know, the, both he and the Post leave out the fact that you know Rahm Emanuel now has gone to work this year with a uh, a bank called the Centerview Partners. I think it's a private equity firm, and they advise a series of healthcare companies. There's Oris Health, the Ray Biopharma, RA Pharmaceuticals. So he has a direct 
a stake in all of this, right. right? And this is just the classic thing that you see constantly now in the press, where we're not telling you what the other person's affiliations yeah, are, the right? They, they, they might work for you know a think tank like the Atlantic Council. A lot of Atlantic right. Council people are on TV lately. You're not nobody's being told about that. But this is this is just really bad. It's a classic sort of campaign faux pas to do this and. Right. Uh, and you know, See, someone needs to say it. Get, I know that's yeah. so stupid. I know it's crazy. Like at least be like, look, I'm going to repeat the tire talking point. Right. That yeah. That you've says. already heard yeah. 50 million yeah. times already. But uh, See, that's the type of thing Democrats should get in trouble for. Not right. the Katie Hill thing. Yeah, let's exactly. Make, let's make people who do that resign. It's disgusting. Right. Yeah. And this is the this is the this is the thing with the Democratic Party is that they feign you know social concern right. or they talk about it a lot, but then they also have you know somebody putting a whole bunch of money either into their campaigns or into their personal yeah. pocketbook, and that just affects the decision making. And then which the media the doesn't reveal it. <laughs> right. That's yeah, like exactly. the worst part. They don't really enable it. So so less lob. Less lobbying, more thruples. Right, more thruples. That's my, yeah, that's exactly. my advice for the Thruples are great. I yeah, like that we have pro, a, yeah. This is a pro-thruple podcast. Right, right. Uh, so terrible, we have a, kind of a key thing. You want? Oh, yeah. So my Isn't That Terrible is actually about um, Elijah Cummings, who is a congressman who died earlier this month. And uh, it's nice that Obama spoke at his funeral and it was actually very moving. And he was only 68 when he died, Elijah Cummings. Wow. And he was someone who, like, Trump said really disgusting racist things about because mm-hmm. he's from Baltimore. Right, And that's yeah. the, the district he represented. But, you know, That someone, was one of the, was it Shithole City? Or what, what did he say? I don't remember. I forget. Like, rodents or something. Rodents, right. Yeah. That was a rodent we'll, we'll thing. We'll cut in some stuff. So yeah. That, yeah, shithole's the country. Country, right. Yeah, he's very, he has different geographical systems. But another guy died, another guy, another congressman died, John Conyers. And I feel like... He didn't get enough love. Cummings got a lot of love, which he deserved. Wasn't crazy about his politics. He was a bit of a Hilarian. Clintonian. Oh, Clintonian. Mm -hmm. But he was a very nice guy. Mm -hmm. I know this because I'm a nerd who watched the Democratic Platform Committee hearings. You watched Um, that? Yeah. Like voluntarily? Yeah. Okay. Jim Zogby's amazing. Ben Jealous, amazing. Nina Turner, great performances. Um, so, So Cummings was pretty nice, even though he was in this terrible position where he had to oversee this terrible terrible people like uh Neera Tandon and and I mean that's enough but other right. other other like Neera Tandon and Neera Tandon yeah exactly mm-hmm. like just pretending that they're four things like right. we all agree but we all agree that we want health care it's just that we have different ways to get there which is no we don't agree you right. guys don't want universe the, somebody the just horse died on set. yeah someone that's just terrible. died on set to show us the importance of health care <laughs> but we're gonna we're gonna move on but we're gonna yeah we gotta put because we're so committed to getting the word out there <laughs> that's right um so anyway Elijah Cummings R.I.P. and his his father was a sharecropper. He has a really interesting bio, but I want to give some love to John Conyers, who was the longest-serving African American in congressional history. Now he did die at ninety. I feel like this is a maybe like, isn't that terrible? Which is more terrible? We could do a, a little right. calculation, although maybe that's not very. That's a little gauche to do with people dying. Yeah, I mean. That's... All right, we don't have to make it that way. But what about if we just make it? Isn't that terrible that John Conyers isn't? Isn't that terrible that? Elijah Cummings died, and John Conyers died, and that John Conyers isn't getting more love. Yes, okay, that's terrible. Okay, that's terrible. Yeah. So he was a real leftist, by the way. He opposed Vietnam. He opposed the Iraq War, the Persian Gulf. Um, He was not your um, run-of-the-mill dem. He fought tirelessly to make Martin Luther King Day a thing, Mm -hmm. and not later on. Like, literally, he started the day after he was killed. Yeah. That's, like, very industrious. He did then resign in 2017 because he was accused of um, some uh, sexual misconduct, harassment of AIDS. He denied it, though. Mm -hmm. And so 
it's sad because that is kind of sh- I think sh- shrouding his uh, overshadowing his his career. Right, it's casting a pall. Thank you. That's yeah. what I meant. Yeah, and he was just he was really great and very progressive and um, much more progressive than anyone. He also got he was famous for how he dressed and um, he he's one of these guys who I think got better looking as the years went on. Uh huh. Really. So yeah. There's like some stuff coming out in this show. Why? What else did I say? I don't know. The throuple. You're, you're, oh, yeah. You're doing, I mean, I I'm not. I, I'm just I'm just trying. Oh, he was called the district dandy. Dandy. Yeah. GQ called him one of the district dandies. And he was a lover of the music of John Coltrane. Uh, he hosted a jazz program on a Washington radio station in the 1970s. He got Congress to pass a resolution designating jazz as a national American treasure. And he played the cornet in high school. Excellent. And, and so basically you're upset that people were mourning Elijah Cummings more than Cummings. I want both. I'm not, you know, it's not a zero-sum game. But, yeah, I would like some. You think there should be, like, the ratio e- equity and mourning. More equity, mourning. Right. Mourning, equ- mourning equity, yeah, All right. exactly, yeah. That's fine. Okay. Yeah. Isn't that weird? And, again, this is just for you, even though you deny that this is something that really matters to you. Um, cats are killing otters. I hate cats. You hate cats. And today is National Cat Day. And is I was today? upset about that. Yeah. That would have been my, isn't that terrible, but I didn't want to seem too cataphobic more because I'm, as a dog ally, I don't want to make that PR move. Right. I need to build more canine ally, allies. Uh-huh. But, okay, yeah, tell me about this. Basically, there's a rash of sea otter deaths in the Pacific, and this is, it's turning out to be uh, associated with toxoplasmosis, so I'm going to assume, I'm going to, that, that's poop, right? So that's, cats are, po- and cats. bobcats are pooping, and Cat poop is now getting into the ocean somehow and killing otters, and um, which is just disgusting and terrible. And I thought that would make you sad, so that's why this is. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. does it? I, I do. I love otters. You love otters? Yeah. Are they the only animals that use tools? Do they? What do they use? It, it, the things, right? They use rocks to open shellfish. Don't they? I didn't know that. Yeah. Do they wear little bibs? Um, no, they don't wear oh, little that would bibs. Be cute. Yeah, like no. when we eat lobster. Right. So that's really that's that's cool of them, but they're you know cats are killing them. There's just too many cats. Yeah, I know we right? should kill. I want to get rid go of the, cats. If, if this story went the other way, of otters I'd were be killing very cats. Pro, pro cat aside, right? yeah, yeah. On, the, uh, on the part of otters, and right. they could use tools on them. It just it's just remarkable to me that there's enough cat and bobcat feces to have this phenomenon actually be observably happening. You know? Yeah, you're right. They're yeah. very prolific, I guess. Yeah, when it yeah. comes to bowel movements. Yeah. They're so gross, cats. Sorry. Are you cats a cat are person? Gr- I'm not a dog. Yeah, I'm a dog person. Yeah. Oh yeah, me too. Yeah. Which is why I think it's so funny that you um So the hell with cats and Pots of America. Yeah, the hell with both of them. Raid right. us because you wanna give a big F you to 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 Pot Save America. And cats. To cats and sharks. And sharks. I hate sharks. Right. And, they should and, all be thrown into yeah. a and Anderson Cooper is a big shipping container together. Yeah. Yeah. With mm-hmm. filled with cat feces. Right, right. Exactly. With uh and Sorry they John. All, they and should John. all get toxoplasmosis. Yeah. All right. So that's That was uh, by the way, that was from Kale Fisher. He gave us that that heads up. Yeah, I think re- readers Twitter. readers are the tweeters yeah. are becoming more helpful. Obviously we're slacking on the work departments they're helping helping bolster no, us. Well, so that's is, good. We're just trying to expand and the media democracy. Right, We're right. trying to democratize the media. All right, well, thank you to Kale Fisher, yeah. and that was uh, the four food groups. Let's yeah. move on to the discussion this week. Before we move on, though, um, because I always like to back up my, my attacks on people. Your unsupported live statements? Yeah, well, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, they are supported right okay. now. I mean, the shark stuff, that's, that's a deeply held belief that right. I don't have to justify. They are sociopaths. We all know that. Uh-huh. But... Um, I referred to some kind of animal head or animal carcass that, that Rahm Emanuel uh, left, and it's true 
that he did send an enemy a dead fish with a card that said, it's been awful working with you. So is that like a sleeps with the fishes thing? Or is that fish and visitors think in three days? What is that? I don't that? know, but he sent it to veteran Democratic pollster Alan Seacrest. Seacrest. What's, so, the, what's the, there's like a the theme with the show of politicians killing animals. Oh, wait, what else? Yeah, oh my God, yeah, Klobuchar, yeah. Right? And then but we, you know, Rom is such a coward, I bet he got it killed. He didn't kill the right. fish with his own bare hands. He didn't hands. catch the fish, for he sure. He didn't catch it, yeah. Right, yeah. yeah. Also, Rahm Emanuel looks just like Christopher Columbus. That is true. It's very weird. So, Matt, you had a tweet that went kind of viral. Yeah, I mean, it was like an offhand thing, I I. You know, I noticed that I was watching a, a CNN clip last Friday and I just tweeted out something cause it, that I thought was interesting and it got like, I don't know, 20,000 likes and it was rocketing around right-wing media, which wow. is always a little odd. But uh, so basically this, this, this is a, an interview that CNN did with James Clapper, the former uh, director of national intelligence, who I incorrectly called the DIA, which is the head of the Defense Intelligence Agency. So that's no, that's no fun. I made a little error in the tweet. Don't feel too bad because it's not like you, um, you know, were involved in droning people. That, I haven't graduated to that yet. But, but Clapper, who was one of the four senior intelligence officials in the Obama administration, he's being asked about the investigation by uh, John Durham into the origins of Russiagate, and he says this very interesting thing at the end. Okay, so want, want to play that? Mm-hmm. What there you go. the then commander-in-chief, the President Obama, told us to do, yeah. which was to assemble all the reporting that we could, that we had available to us, and put it in one report that the president could pass on to the Congress and to the next administration, and while we're at it, uh, declassify as much as we possibly could to make it public, and, that, yeah. and that's what we did. Well, and one, one, it's one kind of disconcerting I'm, now to be investigated for you know having done our duty and done what we were told to do by the president. So there were some people who were upset and said, "Oh, you you, you took this quote out of context." Well, um, yeah. What's so, the significance? So, of the quote? so the, what he says at the end there is, is it's disconcerting to be investigated for doing our duty, uh, for, ha- for having done our duty and for having done what we were asked to do by the President of the United States, right? And my observation was, um, boy, I bet Barack Obama's gonna love that James Clapper is basically saying we're being investigated for something we were told to do by right. the president, right? And and there were some people who were saying this was taken out of context. He's talking about writing a report to Congress and delivering it to the next administration, and he's just talking about investigating Russian interference. And so you're you're basically implying that that Barack Obama ordered him to do something illegal. No, that's that's people who heard the quote that way are misinterpreting it because all that other stuff that he's talking about is window dressing. James Clapper is not being investigated for doing his duty uh, or for preparing a report or for investigating Russian interference. They're being investigated for manipulating the FISA court, for illegal leaking, for improper use of informants. And so when he says it's disconcerting to be investigated for something that we were asked for having done what we were asked to do by the president of the United States, he's not saying Barack Obama ordered me to do something illegal, but he is saying Whatever we're being investigated for falls under the general category of something we were asked to do. Right. So he's setting up a future sort of line of argument or a defense. And I'm sure no matter what the truth is, Obama's not going to like that, yeah. right? Because it's, it's, it's pulling Obama into 
a scandal that currently is sort of localized. Yeah. And so, so that's what that's what I was talking about. And for and, and people got all bent out of shape about it and saying that it was taken out of context, but it really isn't when you think about it. And what are just so listeners know and viewers know what are some of um, Clapper's greatest hits? Clapper's greatest hits. I mean, so he he was <laughs> he and and uh, and Brennan both have a history of both lying to Congress. Uh, they were both sort of the senior intelligence officials who were on board with the uh, the drone assassination program, right. warrantless surveillance. Uh, there, there was an episode, this was more Brennan than Clapper, but there was an episode involving uh, monitoring members of Congress who were looking into some of these things, torture. So he's, he's, you know, he's been one of the key sort of war on terror officials right. who spanned a couple of different administrations. Yeah. But this thing, this thing now, you know, he, he's a central player in what they're looking at. And you're going to hear a bunch of people talking about, um, you know, whether they're upset or not about the direction of this investigation. There was a lot of stuff that came out last week about this investigation. And a lot of it has to do with, I think, the lawyers of the people who are being investigated complaining to reporters. And they're all saying things along these lines like we we resent being investigated for something that we were just kind of told to do. Yeah. So make him clap. Right, yeah, James Clapper, right, yeah. Yeah, all right. So let's talk about um, our mutual acquaintance, Max... Uh, Max Blumenthal. Max Blumenthal. Uh, friend of the sh- of my show, at least, friend of the Katie Halper show. Mm-hmm. He's been on the show. Um, and Max is someone who gets a lot of hate. Right. He's pretty um, brave, mm-hmm. and he's a really good journalist. The thing about him is people hate him for lots of different reasons, but they smear him because you can- he doesn't get the facts wrong. So you can disagree with his with his like um, analysis or his takeaways or what he thinks should be done based on this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but no one can really none of and he has a lot of critics and, and a lot of people just go after him for like that. He's toxic. Anyway, so Max on Friday was, uh, I think, awoken at 9 a.m. by D.C. police officers who threatened to break down his door. And he was hauled into a police van, taken to a D.C. central jail, where he was held for two days. He was shackled by his hands and ankles for over five hours. His request for a phone call was denied by police and corrections officers. So he didn't have access to the outside world. Right. Um, And he was told that he was informed uh, that he was told that he was being accused of simple assault by a Venezuelan opposition member. Uh, He says that the charge is totally fabricated. And he, he claims, quote, it's clearly part of a campaign of political persecution designed to silence me and the gray zone for our factual journalism, exposing the deceptions, corruption, and violence of the far right when Venezuelan opposition. Gray, the gray zone is a really great website uh, that Max is the, of which Max is the founder and editor. Right. The warrant, the arrest warrant was five months old. Right. So that's sketchy. And, and as Max says, uh, if the government had at least told me I had a warrant, I could have voluntarily surrendered and appeared at my own arraignment. I have nothing to fear because I'm completely innocent. And what's interesting is that Max actually, he and other people at the Gray Zone, like Anya Parampel and Alex Rubenstein, Rubenstein, who contributes to the Gray Zone, they were embedded in the embassy with peaceful activists, peace mm-hmm. activists and peaceful activists. And Max, I think, was involved, what they're accusing him of, is helping get food into the embassy, uh-huh. which they did because these. Now, look, I don't really care what you think about Maduro and Venezuela. The people outside the embassy are bad. They were bad people. Mm-hmm. They were abusive. 
they called people racist slurs. They called them sexist slurs. There's footage of a guy that I think um, someone got that, that Max tweeted out where he calls this woman a little bitch. They're really like scum, these people. They're reactionary. Someone else who was, who was arrested, Ben Rubenstein, the, br- the brother of journalist Alex Rubenstein, he also was in the nonviolent uh, legal food delivery. He was arrested by Secret Service police officers. He spent 20 hours in jail alongside Jerry Condon. Now, Jerry Condon is president of Veterans for Peace, and he was arrested after being brutalized by Secret Service officers for attempting to toss a cucumber inside an embassy window. That's probably a first. Has anyone ever been arrested for throwing a cucumber before? Cucumber penetrate, cucumber assault. There's no. a joke in there somewhere. There's a joke yeah, that yeah. I cut out, yeah. Um, I don't know what Max did. Maybe he like smashed well, so, an arepa into someone's face or something. Yeah, the thing that's troubling to me about this yeah, is he the- don't, He don't like that joke. What, the what? My arepa joke, it was a good joke. Oh, you had a, an arepa joke? Yeah, what I said maybe it? he smashed uh, someone's face in with an arepa. Like the cheese? Thing? The the meal yeah the the food it's a Venezuelan food right I just want it yeah uh-huh. um, uh huh you just wanted to show me you could pronounce it oh no not that I do that all the time oh, but okay. uh, I wanted to uh, it's like Nicaragua Nicaragua yeah <laughs> Venezuela yeah um, the thing that uh, troubles me about this is that the norm- normally you you're not going to have an arrest five months after right. the fact especially over something like this and especially when a, when a member of the press is involved yeah like um, the police normally won't go there. It's just too much of a hassle usually to deal dealing with arresting a, a journalist um, unless there's something real there. And, right. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And we're in an environment now where I think it's it's becoming more and more acceptable to start putting pressure on members of the press in different ways, whether it's, um, you know, we're going to talk to John Curiaco today. He was involved. He was one of the people who was sort of charged with uh, violating the Espionage Act for talking to a journalist, right. right? And so the next step in this progression is going to start is going to be leveling charges at reporters you don't like, right? That's just going to be a right, thing. Yeah. And I mean, you know, Max is kind of he's the kind of person that would be one of the first people who would who would be uh, a victim of right. this kind of thing if they were if that was going to start happening. And and um, because so few, you mean because he's so uh, well, he doesn't have a whole lot of institutional support. Yeah, and, and he's, he's annoying, and he's, yeah. he's got he's got he's got doesn't have institutional <laughs> annoying support. Annoying in the best way, yeah. Right, right, yeah. yeah. No, in no, all and, ways. And so, he yeah. was also, by the way, he was arrested literally hours after the Gray Zone published an article on USAID paying the salaries of Guaido's team as they right. lobbied the U.S. government. Guaido was the was the coup. How would you call it? The uh, the opposition's uh, right. president of Venezuela. Right. So if there's even a hint that this was because somebody doesn't like his politics or his reporting or anything like yeah, that. Yeah. Why has that been five months later? So, yeah. And, and where, where I mean, other reporters should just be like, hey, this yeah. this is terrible. Let's yeah. all like let's all make some noise about yeah. it and there make was, sure this doesn't have nothing, nothing because he's not you know Max isn't he's like persona a, non grata. He's yeah he's not a member of the team. So let's you know yeah. If it, I mean if it was Jim Acosta. Oh my you god. You know he, like if he had to spend ten minutes standing next to a vending machine. In the police station, he'd you know there, right. there'd be like you know a Nobel committee worried about it. But yeah. this this is the kind of thing that it's just troubling. I, I wish there was there were more people. Well, it's a bit like the Assange thing, right? No one totally. will. Do, I mean, who's like rotting away and and insane and I mean. Well, forget about even Assange's person. I'm sorry to interrupt. No, yeah, no, no, no. no. His personal suffering. Uh, it, that yeah, whole right. incident is the, is so the, relevant right. to, to to journalists because right. they're criminalizing basically the the normal communications that 
we yeah we, has we nothing would to have. do with 2016. His his uh, what he's getting in trouble for. It's like for giving someone a password, right? Well, for even for it's it's agreeing to look into trying to get a password, and and that's you know, I think any any reporter would tell you that you know counseling somebody on how to avoid being detected yeah, when they're is, a whistleblower when they're a whistleblower like that's something you know th- th- this is the kind of sort of normal stuff that goes on maybe you wouldn't actually get the the, the password for them but but you would just and, tell and, them you would and that's only yeah you, you might yeah no and and but, but there's also that's not the only count in the assange thing a lot of it uh, the other counts are things like receiving defense national right. defense information yeah. which which Anybody who does reporting on national security, like we, we see classified or stuff we're not supposed to see all the time. And if you if that if that becomes criminalized, right. then you can charge any of us at any time. Yeah. And, and so that's but nobody cares because no. it's Julian Assange and Max Blumenthal. Also, the, what I was reading from was um, a, an article at the Gray Zone published by Ben Norton, and it's interesting that. Um, Kevin Gastola is the only other person who I saw write about this at Shadowproof. Oh, really? I mean, yeah. I, I googled Max Blumenthal Google News, you know, I and there was one this which was reprinted some places. Luckily, thankfully, but yeah, I mean, it's it's you'd think that this would be a story. Well, look, maybe, but to, you be, to be fair, yeah, Max has taken shots at a lot of reporters, and, right. and maybe they don't like that. I mean, he's taken shots at me in the past, but it, but he's but you've forgiven him. Look, but, you're talking about him here. Yeah, I mean, it, this is a this is a, a collective thing we have to worry about. Yeah, you don't and, just defend people because you like them, right? I mean, yeah, no, it's just there's no there's no sort of institutional self. Uh, pride, you know, in the, in the business anymore. And the same people who hate Max, by the way, will of, often hate us. And mm-hmm. they are very overt and open about They're just like, shut him down. Rolling Stone, shut him down. Mm-hmm. They don't even pretend to, you know, there's no tolerance whatsoever. Right. But right. we're going to have Max on. We should have him on. And you guys can have like a rapprochement. You yeah. can like pass, well, you guys can pass the pillow. I'll, mm-hmm. I'll mediate it. Right, right. Yeah, we'll smoke the peace pipe. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, Max, I'm glad you're out of jail, um, and we're going to follow this story. But again, if we only defended people who agreed with us, that would be a very scary, and even scarier world. Right. So um, listeners may know, I mentioned that Max is a friend of the show, of my show, the Katie Halper Show, which I have. It's okay that I'm mentioning it, because I always mention um, useful idiots on my show, so yeah. I think it's okay. And uh, I this week I released an interview I did with Chase Boudin who is running for the DA's office in San Francisco. Now, there's something called the Katie Halper Show bump. Mm-hmm. It's happened a couple times, and uh, it's happened again because I released the episode yesterday, and right after, Amo Bernie endorsed Chase Boudin. Wow. Coincidence? I don't know. Yeah. I don't think so. Uh, maybe. But, uh, That's Chase- like Bermuda Triangle-level stuff. I know. Right? You yeah. Should, yeah, I'll go through a list. On another episode, I'll have my uh-huh. list of Katie Halper Show bumps. Anytime a guest who went on wins an election, that's the Katie Halper Show bump. When they don't win it, it's a mo- It's kind of irrelevant. Mm-hmm. Um, or it's that they didn't come on early enough. Right. Like Tiffany Caban came on a little late, I think, if she had come on earlier. Right. That makes sense. Makes sense, yeah. right? So mm-hmm. Chase Boudin, um, it's really fascinating. His parents were in the Weather Underground. Mm-hmm. And his parents were convicted of driving a getaway car in a robbery that did kill three men. So it was very tragic okay. and it wasn't like part of the plan. Right. But it's called felony murder, which is, yeah. which, you know, yeah. So when you're committing another crime and then a murder happens. So the mom was in jail, Kathy Boudin and David Gilbert. The mom was in jail for 22 years. The dad is still in jail and mm-hmm. as of now will die in jail. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, this guy, this kid, Chesa, 
was a public defender, which makes a lot of sense because he was kind of on the side of the incarcerated. Right. And but now he's doing that thing that Caban did or tried to do that Larry Krasner did, which is they go from the public defender's office to run for DA. Mm. And very sketchily, the San Francisco DA left a month early to this was going to be the first open seat election for the DA's office in over 100 years. But the guy, the DA, Gascon, left early to move to L.A. where he's going to be the DA. And the mayor appointed one of the candidates to be interim DA. Uh-huh. A move that the ACLU condemned. Because it's basically like you're tilting the scales, but you're also kind of creating an air of the of incumbency by putting well, someone... Or actual incumbency, even. Anyway, it gives the impression that you're running against someone. But Chase is a decarceral progressive... Uh, candidate, he's the best if you care about decarceral justice. So, um, and the interesting thing about decarceral progressive justice is that, and this is a reason it's becoming even more popular, is you don't have to be a touchy feely kumbaya person. You can like not care about criminals and still think that and realize that recidivism rates are better, go down when you have less punitive, a less pun- punitive criminal justice system. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, no, that makes sense. Makes sense. Absolutely. So chaseaboudin.com if you want. You didn't tell me the felony murder part when you told me that the whether when the, when the Oh, the you thought that they were just in, in jail for um yeah. for like I don't know what for they, organizing a peaceful protest. Yeah, I don't know what that was. Yeah, yeah. That was wow, he's still in jail, but you know, Oh yeah, I was I was moved by that. I was like, wow, Matt, that's it's true. It is a travesty. Yeah. He shouldn't still he shouldn't be sentenced to die in jail for driving a car though. I mean, it's murder. It's felony murder, which it's you murder. don't believe in felony murder, do I you, do. as a charge? Yeah. No. Absolutely. So if you break a law, if you're giving someone a ride and it's, you have no idea, yeah, but I think that's not just because a friend of the show, Chase Boudin. The concept is if you break the law, you should, you, you should have to take into account all the things that could happen when you, when oh, you break the law. Oh, I didn't, that, I, I'm not prepared to debate this. I'll have to yeah. come on to debate it it's next time. It's just an age old legal concept that when yeah, you, but it's bad. you commit a bank robbery and somebody gets shot, you're responsible for that. Well, that is. What's really scary about it, though, is that when you're like, you are picking up someone. There are lots of stories where, that, where, where you, it's really egregious. Where, and it where you have happen. somebody who gets into now, a car course. with a bunch of friends and they go to right. they, go, they go to a, a you yeah. know a bodega and the friends jump out and rob the place and somebody gets shot. Yeah. Like that's a little that's that's a little different because you, then you're dealing with did, was the person fully aware? Were they were they a hundred percent? like on board with right. the whole thing did they know what was going to happen yeah. but you know if someone goes I do into think it's a, different if you get into a car with someone the plan is like okay we're just going to rob these people and use but the, if you do it with a gun then you maybe you, it's to scare them what <laughs> it's to scare them i'll find out i'm not making light of the i'm not making light of this three men did die but um i don't believe in it not even because of the chase of Boudin thing uh-huh. anyway so we're chase is getting a split endorsement Okay. From um, useful idiots. Although right. you may endorse him anyway. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm, I'm just not sure. Murder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're gonna exactly. have to. Re- we're gonna have to get a. Ge- well, this would be a good guess, actually. A constitutional lawyer or something. Right. Talk about this. Yeah. Um. So we have a little bit of time left. Quick thing. So Matt, you wrote a piece over the weekend. There was a huge story. It started with Donald Trump tweeting something. Something big is happening. Nobody really knew what was what was taking place. And then it turns out that we find out that Abu Bakr al Baghdadi, who's the head of ISIS. Um, was killed in a in a essentially a giant raid. Like he he was there was a huge American helicopter attack in the Idlib province, Syria. And um, as he's running away, he gets chased into a tunnel by I guess dogs, and um, 
blows himself up right. there. That's that's kid, the story that's come out. And I, I should pre- preface this by saying it's very, very common for Americans to announce that they've killed a terror suspect right. and then have it turn out that that didn't happen. But, um, but in this case, it appears yeah. to have happened. And the entire press landscape went completely crazy. Like the... Like within ten seconds, the only important thing was who was getting credit for it. And this right. this one ha- this happened on both sides. Um, you know, Trump starts. He gave a long rambling press conference where he said it was like watching a movie, and he died like a dog, like a coward, and said it was even bigger than Osama bin Laden being died. I mean, it was, it, was, it was ridiculous. My favorite part is that he praised the beautiful dog, talented the, dog. The beautiful that talented dog. That's so Trump. Right? It's so Trump, yeah. Right? I wonder right. if he's going to adopt a dog. What? Yeah, I... Have yeah. him move into the White House. Oh, my God. Yeah, be, be his running mate. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But then it's sort of equally insane was the, the reaction in all those kind of like mainstream sort of blue-leaning right. media. Like... The, the the issue of what happened and who this guy was and why this was important and all that it was it was instantly not important the the first things that came out were everybody was upset because he didn't inform congressional democrats which like imagine if that story of if when the bin laden raid right. happened and republicans said he didn't inform us right. people would have thought that was nuts but that was one of the first things that came out then there was the washington post ran a I guess it was technically an obituary, and it says Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, comma, austere religious scholar at helm of Islamic State, comma, dies at 48. That was the most insane thing I've ever seen this week. Right, yeah, exactly. Or I mean, this month. I mean, that was insane. What editor looked at that and said... I mean, that, well done. Right, a friend of mine was like, "Did they did they lift that from the text of Gandhi's death or something yeah. like that?" Right. I mean, it, or from like a, a fan of uh, Baghdadi. Like, right. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, it, it would have it would have fit if he had a PR some, man. That's what they would have done. Yeah, like a cleric who died in his sleep or something like yeah. that. Um, there's, there's two things. First, you're saying kind of nice things about a guy who's got genocide in his record, crucifixions, sex amputations, slaves. sex slaves, yeah. Um, then there's also the sort of passive construction dies at right. 48, like, what, of natural causes? I know, yeah. Yeah. Um, like Cummings and Conyers. No, yeah. very different. And that was crazy. And then they, they, you know, there was a public uproar, and they, they changed the headline, um, but they kept that construction in the lead. It's still there. Uh, the whole thing about the Australia uh, austere religious scholar with the wireframe glasses—that's still in what there. What that is that? Just because they are so upset about ha- Trump being able to use anything? This is the whole thing. Though, is the only question that matters anymore in American politics is who gets who's getting the win on the day's t- uh, headlines, right? So the the story didn't have any meaning for for reporters on either right. side. Any except for. Whether it was good for Trump or bad for Trump. Trump is going to milk the political benefit of Baghdadi because he needs to because of impeachment and other problems. Yeah, that, yeah Yahoo, that was one of their stories. Trump is going to milk this. The New York Times did. Baghdadi raid was complicated by Trump's plans to withdraw from Syria. There was another one. It happened in spite of Trump, not because of him. Trump's uh, gloating tone contrasted with the more measured tone of Barack Obama after the bin Laden operation. That's, I guess, kind, that is true. It's but true, it's but it's not it, like the, it shouldn't be the headline, right? Right, yeah, it shouldn't be. I don't know, like, on, on that day, is that a story you, you do? Then there was a the whole thing about somebody, some guy who was the photographer for the, when Obama's thing happened, 
suggested that the whole thing that this the photo of Trump in the Situation Room was faked because uh, the timestamp suggested that the operation couldn't have been going on when when Trump was in the and then later on he he backtracked but by then the cat was out of the bag and we have more cats in the show oh, I know um, and it was all over media that that uh, that Trump had staged his photo then there were people who were saying it was quote more staged than Obama's photo. And there were people who were worried about the fact that the Ethernet cables and the picture weren't connected. So they were like, oh, they, they weren't really, you know, tuned in. Right. While they were, like, who cares? It's a PR photo right. of the president. Like, he's not actually. Uh, yeah, exactly. Right? I mean, it's, it's just I, I'm actually almost impressed by the Trump is going to milk the political benefit of Baghdadi because he needs to because of impeachment and other problems. Because that's the type of thing that we would critique the media for focusing on. Like, but they're actually saying that. Like, right. our critique is like, look at how the media is only concerned with how Trump will use this politically. Right. But you don't usually admit that. Like they they shouldn't pre- they usually pretend that there's something else besides their concern over Trump's using it politically. Do you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, they're they're doing it while they're criticizing it. Like if you if you're worried about the guy getting play out of this, just yeah. don't cover it. You know, or or right, or if everything it. is seen through the prism of how Trump will use this or not use this, like there is there are things that just happen. Right. And also this makes again, you've made this point a lot, which is that this just feeds into the idea. Now, Trump would would like vilify the media no matter what. But this feeds into it. It's like, why is this a relevant headline for for this guy being captured? Why? Why does anyone care about? I mean, I, I have progressive friends who are like upset about Trump's, you know, handling of North Korea because they don't want him to be able to use it during the elections. Right. But. He, don't don't we care about to, war and peace? Yeah, yeah, this exactly. is the biggest, the biggest like, div, like, I feel like divider. You know, Edward Snowden talks about how it's not left or right, the poles of left or right, but it's north and south, or it's vertical, like between authoritarian and mm-hmm. whatever the opposite is. I feel like the biggest divide now is is how anti-war you are. Like, it just not a thing for lots of people. Right. Even people, I think it's the Trump derangement syndrome. Yeah, no. Trump has superseded almost every other issue for right. for a whole sect of people, and a lot of them are in the media. Yeah, you know, um, Trump is just he, he has he's over important to, to yeah. them, right? Like yeah. they they can't conceive of news stories that yeah. where Donald Trump is in the center of their everything. Universe. Right. Yeah. So we don't they don't look at institutionally what's right. going on. They don't care whether whether. This is a positive or negative development globally, right, exactly. like you know, with the North Korea thing. Yeah, you do probably want us to to negotiate with North Korea, yeah. even if it's Trump. Like, you know, it may, who knows? Maybe, well, what's maybe, the alternative? You want right. him to be belligerent? Right, like, yeah. you say he's has dementia, is Cheeto Mussolini, and you want him to be a tough guy with him and Putin, right. the people that you say are evil and can cause like a, a nuclear holocaust. Right. What is the end game there? Yeah, right? like That's when he never... says he wants to withdraw from uh, a couple years ago, when he started talking about withdrawing from Syria. Yeah. Like, good. Like, you know, the, right. the last thing I want is this guy, you know, know. anywhere near a military conflict with Russia. It makes no Russia, sense, but. which is like, the, I think that always, I always go back to that because it's like, don't they get how incoherent their position is? Right. But it's just because it's so reactive. So whatever Trump does, and it makes, I'm tired of disclaiming or declaiming that I'm not a Trump fan, which I'm not. I really don't like Trump. Right. But like, it's not good organizing to just oppose whatever he does because he does it. Because Bad people will do the right thing for the wrong reasons or every now and then for the right reasons, maybe because the way political things happen. 
but yeah, just reacting to that is not how you do it. And if you want, I mean, there are a lot of arguments that could be made and should be made. Spencer Ackerman had a great piece on this at the Daily Beast about how we create these people. Mm -hmm. So like we kill these people. Of course. You know, that is something that we could focus on and you could criticize Trump for failing to recognize because of course Trump just vilifies these people. Not that I'm like a fan of this guy's, but he was in Abu Ghraib, they say, and we know how much the U.S. military intervention radicalizes people. Right, that should have been a, yeah. a big theme. Right. Like, what, is is this really that big a deal? Because actually, the, what this what this whole episode shows is that we're going to be doing this forever because we right. create this. Be- exactly. These people, yeah. So know? that's a way the left or even like blue digital, you know, blue media could go after Trump and make a good argument, a coherent right. argument, and also a moral argument. Which, but of course, they can't really make that argument either because they've been supporting these wars. Right. So they're hawkish. But progressives out there who are good people and have a little bit of Trump derangement syndrome, I'm not chastising you. I'm just giving you a, a tip. You could, if you want to go after Trump, that's what you should be doing. Yeah. Right? And, and, and conversely, this kind of behavior, it just, it redounds to his benefit, ultimately. Right? If you, if you view everything as being about Trump, Right. He, that's good for him. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and and this kind of stuff, like, just tell us who Al Baghdadi is, yeah. and you know, probably objectively, it's not a negative thing for for him that for him to have this happen. You know yeah. what I mean? Well, so, I mean, it's probably not good either. The way he, um, we'll see what happens. But it, it's not very good strategy to. It's not. To, surprising but it's not great for trump to talk about how he died like a whimpering dog oh no no that's right? that's that's that's, yeah. ter- that's terrible and, 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 and it's going to perpetuate this whole thing exactly. and, and and you know their the children died in this, this yeah episode. his kids were and there and so yeah. you know that that's going to be a recruiting it's tool it's funny and, how it's not funny but it's interesting and this is another thing you could talk about but like how he blew himself up and trump clearly was upset that because because he, he's trump that like they didn't get to kill him, kill right, him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they cornered him and he blew himself up. But that's why I think he, he's he's going into such detail about this because he has to make it less about this guy blowing himself. Yeah, up. no, that just shows tr- the sadism yeah. of Trump, right? Like, and I, like he, insecurity too. Insecurity, because totally. He's, he's upset that they didn't get to kill him and that this guy kind of like, you know. Right. I'm not trying to. I'm not like all those things are true, that, but um, just but, like you know. so what? You yeah. know what I mean? Like he's that's who the Trump. It's Trump is Trump. Just like you know. This also this could have been isn't that terrible because the but the dog survived. The dog survived, right? I yeah. mean, the, look, I don't want I don't. It's terrible because the kids die too. Right. That part is terrible, isn't that terrible? His kids, but also my dad told me he was like, "Don't worry, the dog's okay." <laughs> anyway. Anyway. Crazy episode. Yep. Yeah. Um, really excited to talk to John Kiriakou. Yasu, mm-hmm. John, when you're about to be watching this. Um, John, by the way, is a CIA analyst. Yeah, he was in the CIA for 14, 14 years. years. Started off on the Iraq desk, which he was originally told, incidentally, was something a place that n- where nothing, nothing ever happened, happened. right? Yeah. yeah and was he at the Iraq desk or the Kuwait desk? I think it was Iraq slash Kuwait. Oh, okay, I'm, not, yeah. I'm not mistaken. Yeah. We should look that up. Um, but yeah. He exposed the Bush era torture program, became the only official jailed in connection with it. He's the author of Reluctant Spy, My Secret Life in the CIA's War on Terror, and his latest book is Doing Time Like a Spy, How the CIA ta- Taught Me to Survive and Thrive in Prison. And you can find out more about him at johnkiriaku.com or johnkiriaku on Twitter. And that is K-I-R-I-A-K-O-U. 
just an unofficial bio, I want to give people this info. As an eight-year-old, he was a volunteer on the McGovern campaign, which I mentioned, which I will mention. Because you feel a secret kinship with right, him because, yeah. Right, as an eight, right. Because I was a Dukakis person and he yeah. over-politicized. Maybe your kids are under, maybe you were <laughs> under-politicized, Matt. <laughs> maybe that's um, what it is. But he also, uh, he was recruited to the CIA by a psychiatrist to convince him to quit his job. Yeah, no, that's very interesting. And he ended up being, uh, I, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, he was Saddam's biographer within the intelligence community. Oh, I didn't so know that. So that. that was another thing. So his star was attached to that. Yeah, the only person. I can't believe it. And his story is so weird. We'll get into it. But his story is so odd because what ended up happening was he, he was out of the CIA for a while and reporters started coming after him because they were looking for evidence of a torture program and they thought that he was involved and he sort of inadvertently sort of confirms some things that it, yeah and that and, and that it ends up like sort of sucking him into this crazy situation where he's he's prosecuted yeah. uh so it's it's a it's a little bit different from a traditional whistleblower story uh who, like go, but, sets out to do it right yeah, yeah exactly but you know he he you didn't back down right. from it yeah exactly happened, he spoke so. out against it. and apparently yeah. they were like he you know they asked him at the cia if he wanted to be trained in enhanced interrogation which is what they called the torture stuff right right yeah and, and like everyone else was like yeah sure and he he didn't so uh without any further ado let's talk to john, john kiriaku, kiriaku. Wow, look at that rhyme. John, welcome to Useful Idiots. I'm Matt Taibbi. This is Katie Halper. And you are John Kiriakou, right? I am. We should have a password. Thanks for having me. Uh, Thanks thanks for coming on. So... (laughs) Really looking forward to speaking to you. There's a couple of things that are in the news that that um, are kind of relevant to your story and your experience that I want to ask about. Um, you might have heard uh, recently Bernie Sanders came out with a with a, a statement that he would um, he would end the practice of using the Espionage Act uh, for people who talk to journalists, and that seemed directly related to what happened to you. Can you can you talk a little bit about? Just give us give us the background of what happened with you and how you came to be charged with the Espionage Act, even though that wasn't what you went to prison for. Yeah. In 2007, I gave a nationally televised uh, interview to Brian Ross, who was then with ABC News. And in that interview, I blew the whistle on the CIA's torture program and I called waterboarding torture. I said that I thought that it was illegal. The FBI began investigating me within 24 hours, as you might imagine, Uh, and they investigated me for a full year from December of 2007 to December of 2008. And then they issued to my attorneys something called a declination letter saying that they were declining to prosecute. I thought the case was closed, actually took my wife out to dinner that night to celebrate. Wow. And what I didn't know was that four weeks later, when Barack Obama was inaugurated, Uh, John Brennan, an old nemesis of mine from the CIA, asked the Justice Department to secretly reopen the case. And I had no idea that for the next three years, my emails were being intercepted, my phone calls were being monitored, and that there were teams of FBI agents following me, not 24 hours a day, but sometimes um, as many as six teams following me. And then finally, in January of 2012, four years after I blew the whistle, Uh, I was charged with five felonies, including uh, three counts of espionage. So the espionage charges stemmed from the ABC interview and a follow-on interview I gave to the New York Times, to Scott Shane at the New York Times. I hadn't committed espionage, and they knew I hadn't committed espionage. One of the things that we got in Discovery was a series of memos between John Brennan and Eric Holder. Uh, In the first one, Brennan wrote, 
charge him with espionage. And Holder responded, my people don't think he committed espionage. And then Brandon wrote back and said, charge him anyway and make him defend himself. And so that's what they did. In the end, I took a plea to a lesser count uh, to violating the Intelligence Identities Protection Act of 1981. I'm only the second American who's ever been charged with that as a crime. And that was for the, I'm sorry to interrupt, that was for identifying, you were speaking to, was it Matthew Cole, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. and, yes, and sort of inadvertently, he, like he asked, he sort of prompts you to yeah. just to give the background. You were a CIA officer for 14 years, uh, and basically, these reporters were after um, sort of the story about the use of waterboarding and torture, especially with Abu Zub. Uh, Zub- how do you pronounce that? Zubadaya, right? Is that yeah? Zubeda. And uh, Zubeda. Zubeda, right? right yeah. Zubeda. And so they were they were um, they were basically pr- he was prompting you for a name, and you and you sort of gave it basically, right? Is yeah. that what happened? Yeah. What he said was, see, he told me he was writing a book on the Abu Omar rendition, which is which is a rendition that's been covered in the in the media. It took place in Milan. Uh, we snatched this imam and sent him to Egypt to be tortured, and it turned out he was innocent. So he asked me, do you know uh, any of these 12 names? He asked me in an email, and I said, I, I, I don't know any of these guys. Kidnapping wasn't my thing at the CIA. I didn't participate in kidnappings. And... Um, he sent me a second list of 12 names, and I responded saying, you obviously know this issue far better than I do. I really don't know any of these people. And then he said, what about the guy that you mention on page whatever of your first book? I think his name is John. And I said, oh, you're talking about John Smith. I don't know whatever happened to him. He's probably retired and living somewhere in northern Virginia. I confirmed that name to him. And so he took that name, he gave it to the Guantanamo defense attorneys, they put it in a, in a classified motion uh, to the judge asking for permission to interview John Smith. The judge recognized the name as classified, he turned it over to the FBI. The FBI then traced the information back from the Guantanamo defense attorneys, eventually to Matthew Cole. And then, I don't know if Matthew Cole ratted me out to the FBI, or perhaps the FBI went into his emails, although he was a working journalist, and I find that hard to believe. But either way, they traced it back to me, and then I was arrested and charged for it. Who is Matthew Cole? He's a, is he known as a journalist? or he, he was... Yeah, he's with The Intercept now. He doesn't write much, a couple of pieces a year. I understand that he married money, so he doesn't need, he doesn't need this salary. <laughs> um, but he was briefly with ABC briefly independent he went to nbc for a little while and now he's with the intercept the really amazing part of your story to me was the the espionage charge was just predicated on the idea that you talk to a reporter an american yeah. reporter right or two yes. american reporters basically right correct and and th- yes you weren't the only person that this happened to right there were there were no there were there were a bunch of people and especially in the obama years that they were they yes. they used this trick and it it of course has a chilling effect or doesn't it has to um and obviously you had to really worry about the gravity of that charge i mean how many years would would that have carried if you had been 45 right uh i was you know on the on the day of my arraignment the the feds offered me 45 years they said take a plea you do 45 years and you might live to meet your grandchildren and i remember like just being kind of in a fog. I was, I was in a state of shock. 
And I remember saying, I'm not doing 45 minutes. I didn't do anything wrong. And then a couple of months passed and they came back with an offer of 10 years. They said, take a plea to espionage and you do 10 years. Get out in, um, in eight and a half. And uh, we rejected it. That was on a Monday. They came back on Wednesday with uh, eight years and on Friday with five years. And my lead attorney uh, was a guy named Plato Kacharis, legendary legal figure in Washington. He said to me, you know, I've been practicing law in Washington for 53 years and I've never seen them come down in time. If you reject a plea, they always go up in time, right? They offer you 10, mm. you say no, they go to 12, then they go to 15. I said, why are they coming down? And he said, because they have a shit case and they know it's shit and we're going to trial. And so that conversation was in March of 2012. We went all the way up to trial in October of 2012 before we finally negotiated a plea. Wow. And what was the plea? The plea was to plead guilty to violating the Intelligence Identities Protection Act. And name. I got 30, 30 months in prison. Uh, I did 23 months. And did you have any idea when you spoke out about this torture program, basically, that you would be facing potential jail time? No. And, and the reason why I didn't think so was because there are laws in this country that make it illegal to classify a crime. Right. So if something is a criminal act or if it is classified solely because it's embarrassing to the CIA or the intelligence, intelligence community, it's improperly classified, which in and of itself is a felony. And so I believe then and I believe now that the torture program was a crime. And so exposing it was not a criminal act. In my view, it was a patriotic act. You, you also in the book, you talk about how you, you, you left the CIA in 2004. You just hadn't been following the news. You assumed that that was sort of widely yeah. known. Right. Uh, yeah. And and they, they, in fact, they were in coming the, in, to you. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. People came to me all the time. Journalists came to me all the time for background on the torture program and I really had tuned it out. I, I stopped focusing on it and went, went on with my life and uh, I just didn't think that I was saying anything that was particularly sensitive. You said that Brennan was a longtime nemesis yeah. of yours. What was that about? Like, what, what, what are the roots of that? You know, John was one of these. But he looks so nice, dog. his face. Just kidding. <laughs> yeah, right. His face. Face only a mother yeah. could love. Probably not even that. Yeah. I, you took the words right out of my mouth. So, uh, you know, when I first joined the CIA, John was a GS-15. Um, he was the deputy director of the Arab-Israeli Analysis Group, right? No big deal. Not terribly busy. And there's kind of a famous story inside the CIA. He went to his boss, a woman named Martha Kessler. Martha was the director of that Arab-Israeli intelligence uh, or analysis group. Martha was legendary because she was a published author, which is unusual for a CIA officer, a sitting CIA officer. She wrote this book called Syria, Fragile Mosaic of Power that we all had to read because it was the definitive work on Syria at the time. So she didn't like John and John was imposed on her. And John went to her and said, Martha, I think uh, I'm ready to be promoted to the senior intelligence service and I want your blessing. And she said, not only will you never be promoted to the senior intelligence wow, service, I don't even want you working for me anymore. And she fired him. Wow. Now, when you're fired at the CIA, you're not actually literally fired. You have six weeks to walk the halls, 
and find another job. And if you find another job, you're you're good. If you don't find another job, then they escort you to your car and tell you never to come back. Well, this happened the week before Christmas, 1996. And there are no jobs open the week before Christmas. The normal turnover is in the summer. So John started walking the halls and finally he went to the PDB staff, the president's daily brief, and said that he really, really needed a job. And so they had an opening and they gave him a job doing the PDB briefing every day for the lowest ranking official entitled to a PDB briefing. And that was the National Security Council's Director of Intelligence Programs, who at the time happened to be George Tenet. Mm. They immediately hit it off. They're both like nasty, cigar smoking, (laughs) filthy mouthed, cheating on their wives. They're just awful, both of them. So wouldn't you know, a couple of months later, George gets promoted and he becomes the deputy director of the CIA. He, uh, John, he brings John back to the CIA with him, and he makes John the deputy director of the Office of Near Eastern and South Asian Analysis, Martha Kessler's boss. Oh, wow. Poor Martha. And the first thing he does is he calls her in and he says, now you're fired. <laughs> and so Martha packed up her stuff and walked out, and none of us ever saw her again. George took good care of John because they were friends. John had never served overseas before, but George made him the station chief in Riyadh, right, with direct access to the king, for example. And then when he came back from Riyadh, he made him the the, uh, executive director of the CIA, the third ranking official in the CIA. John was in over his head intellectually, but he was a a terrific political knife fighter. And, um, you know, that was just never me. I, I was kind of the substantive nerdy guy. Um, I ended up transitioning from analysis to operations and found that I had a knack uh, recruiting people, right? Your job is to recruit spies to steal secrets for you. I had a knack for it. I have a facility for foreign languages. Um, so John and I were on two completely different tracks at the CIA. He was all politics. I see. Um so well, we'll get back to John in a bit, sure, but yeah. uh, there's a couple other things that are in the news that I really want to ask you about. Actually, uh, so recently there was a furor about um, Hillary Clinton uh, and talking essentially about Tulsi oh, Gabbard. Yeah. There's there's controversy about the word asset. Uh, yes. And you are in the CIA. What does the word asset mean? The word asset has a very specific meaning in the CIA and the broader intelligence community. Asset means that you are being paid to provide either classified information or access to someone who has classified information. Uh, in nine uh, times out of 10, 90% of the time, you know that you are being paid by the CIA or by an intelligence service, and you are providing that service for cash. So to, to and Hillary Clinton knows this, right. right? Hillary Clinton was Secretary of State. She had a PDB briefing every day. She knew all about the terminology. So, man, when I when I heard that word come out of her mouth, I thought to myself, blood's going to be spilled over this. You can't you can't just accuse someone of being a paid agent of a Russian intelligence service and not expect for there to be fallout. 
but they they kind of fell back oh my on gosh, this. Yeah. Side. Oh well, we're not saying the person's a spy. Like you know, it's an unwitting. Yeah, they actually right? mean they almost mean useful idiot. Like right, yeah, that's exactly. what, yeah, yeah, which yeah. is the name of our show. But but they're pretending right. that asset means unintentional. Yes, yes, that was that was some fancy footwork to cover yeah. up a, a major boner that she had made. Right, I agree with you. What she meant was useful idiot, something that I've been uh, accused of being as well. Uh, but too. you know, I think that 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 just doesn't fly. Right. Yeah. Another thing that I think was the a story where you have some expertise and are able to talk about is sort of. The, this notion of what is a whistleblower, what isn't a whistleblower, you and I have spoken about this before. Um, yes. When this Ukraine story broke, uh, the, there was suddenly all this stuff in the news about, oh, this, we have to protect whistleblowers. Let's, you know, they, they occupy such an important role in society. And that, that just <laughs> struck my ears so, so strangely since we that, that, that suddenly like a newfound revelation on the part of the, the press. What did you think when you started seeing the word whistleblower bandied about? And this person isn't necessarily not a whistleblower, but it just right. it was odd uh, to me. I wondered what you thought. Well, first, I want to say how much I enjoyed that article that you wrote in <laughs> Rolling Stone. I, I got more mileage out of that article than I think. I, I have out of any other article the last five years that, that has mentioned me. In fact, um, it was your article, Matt, that, that got me onto the Tucker Carlson show that night. Wow. Uh, and I repeated to Tucker what I had told you. And then sure enough, an hour later, Donald Trump uh, tweeted it. Uh, I was shocked. Right. I've never been tweeted by Donald Trump before. But yeah. I was a little shocked, too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was shocked. Yeah, yeah. I'll repeat for, for your viewers what you and I talked about that day. There's a legal definition of whistleblowing. It's bringing to light any evidence of waste, fraud, abuse, illegality, or threats to the public health or public safety. Motivation is irrelevant, right, to be mm -hmm. covered by the law. So with that said, my initial knee-jerk reaction was, oh, there's a CIA whistleblower, and he's blowing the whistle on what he believes to be waste, fraud, abuse, or illegality at the White House. But then I read the complaint, and the complaint just didn't add up. The law says that if a whistleblower comes across this information, he has to report it to his immediate supervisor, and then he and the supervisor go to the inspector general. The inspector general does an investigation and then goes to the oversight committee. We know that that's not what happened in right. this case. What happened was he went to his supervisor, the supervisor went to the IG, that's all fine and good. But then the IG went to the general counsel, the general counsel got the lawyers together, they went to the CIA leadership, then back to the IG, and then the IG went to the DNI IG, the Director of National Intelligence, and then to the Justice Department. So the system just did not work the way it was supposed to work. And then when you read this report, this is not written in the CIA's writing style. We know that the, that the so-called whistleblower is an analyst. I was an analyst the first seven years of my career. When you're hired as an analyst, you go to the farm, the CIA's training facility down south. And for six months, they beat into your head the CIA's writing style. So that when you're writing for the PDB or you're writing a paper for the secretary of whatever, no matter who's writing it, it looks exactly the same. Right? right. The product has to be consistent. This was not written in the CIA's writing style. This was written in a legal writing style, which tell me, tells me that whatever information the whistleblower had or thought he had, it was morphed into something completely different by a team of attorneys and by the CIA leadership 
And so I don't think this is a whistleblower. I think maybe he started out as a whistleblower, but I think the whole process was hijacked by the CIA's leadership and the CIA's attorneys. Right, right. Um, and you know, do, you, do you see, I mean, do you think that there was more than one person? I mean, it was, it was very odd reading the complaint. Like it, it, it even specifically references the idea that, that it was, that the information came in conversations with multiple colleagues. Um, it seems like a normal whistleblower wouldn't be able to share what was going on uh, no. if you're if you're you know at work. That's part of what be, why you blow the whistle, isn't it? I mean, I I thought that was yeah. an odd detail. You know, that's right. And, and and presidential conversations like this are compartmentalized. So even if even if the whistleblower had access to the transcript or to the actual conversation, he would be forbidden from sharing it with his colleagues because the colleagues aren't cleared for it. They don't have a need to know. And so that bothered me too. You know, we know from the New York Times and we know from Mark Zaid, and we can talk about Mark Zaid in a minute, um, who's the attorney representing the whistleblower, that there are actually, there were two whistleblowers. Mark Zaid apparently represents both of them. But there may have been more. And we know that there were these conversations that were that were taking place, you know, in the hallways with colleagues. So the, the whole the whole situation is so muddy that I think that we really don't know what happened. But what we've been presented with this this report uh, from the CIA, it just doesn't stand up. You're a, a lifelong Democrat. I heard your um really great interview with um, Paul Jay and you talk about how you wow, like joined the yeah it was great um, <laughs> you, you talk about how you started out your political career at like eight um, stuffing envelopes from McGovern yeah, um, and uh, like that was me with Dukakis too uh, so we have that <laughs> awesome. in common but it's interesting how this whole there's this been this political realignment so you're a lifelong Democrat and right now Trump may be your only hope for pardoning, yeah. um, you're you went on. You had to go on Tucker Carlson, right? And we talked about this a lot. How like what happens is the kind of there's this Democratic mainstream liberal media, and I, even saying that I sound like a right winger, but like because there's no audience anywhere else, if you want to get express what you want to say, you are forced onto someone's show like Tucker Carlson. And yeah. do you get called it's a true. Trumpian? Like, can you talk about this experience and? <laughs> How you it's deal with so it? It's so bizarre to me that anybody would think that I was a Trump supporter. I mean, it's just, it's crazy. Um, Tucker Carlson is 100% right on whistleblower issues. He's always been right on whistleblower issues. He was an early supporter of mine, and I'm deeply indebted for that support. I think he's nuts on immigration <laughs> right. and on, on some other issues. Yeah. But by God, on whistleblowers, he is entirely correct. As, as crazy as things have gotten, I was invited to Pat Buchanan's Christmas party. <laughs> you can right. imagine such a thing. But you're right. I, I was a third generation Democrat. My grandfather had a framed picture of Franklin Roosevelt on the top of the TV that was there as long as he was alive. Um, and, and I left the Democratic Party in 2012 only because of what the Obama administration did to me. I've, I've come to believe that so many Democrats are so conservative in that war-loving, neoliberal yeah, way. exactly. That I, I just, I can't anymore. It's almost neoconish in some ways. It's not even just it neoliberal, is. right? Because they actually it support is. the I, war agenda. Yeah. 
yeah, I, I don't find much of a difference between the neocons and the neoliberals. They, at the end of the day, they support the same thing, you know, wars for oil, wherever we might find them. And so, uh, yeah, I left the Democratic Party. Um, I would love to go on CNN and talk about these issues, but I'm not invited. Right. I'd love to go on MSNBC. And on rare occasions, I'm invited to MSNBC. Oh. But I, I have problems with MSNBC. I did the Ari Melber show a couple of weeks ago. And uh, he called and said, hey, we're going to have Dan Ellsberg. And Dan's a good friend of mine. I said, yeah, I'd love to be on with Dan. And so I went on. Dan had already taped his segment. So I went in wearing my suit, freshly shaven, which I'm not now. I apologize. <laughs> That's okay. all right. You like the authentic and, um, look. <laughs> and I go on and he introduces me as former CIA leaker and convicted felon John Kiriakou. <laughs> and I said to him, can I swear on this show? Yeah. Uh, yeah, of course. I said, motherfucker, is that what this is? Is this a setup? And I went to take off my my uh, microphone. And he says, no, no, wait, wait, wait. Sorry, what happened? What's wrong? I said, you're going to introduce me as a convicted felon? That's what this is about? I'm right. happy to talk about what I did and the fact that I have zero remorse yeah. for what I did. But if you're going to try to undercut my credibility from your opening statement... I'm not playing games with you. And so we redid the whole thing. And, and leaker, not whistleblower also, right? And leaker, not whistleblower. And I'll tell you what, it took my lawyers a year to get CNN and MSNBC to stop calling me CIA leaker John Kiriakou and to start calling me CIA whistleblower John Kiriakou. CNN did it first. MSNBC didn't do it until after I was in prison. And then even now, well, I've turned down three request to do the Rachel Maddow show because she insists on referring to me as John Kiriakou, who styles himself a whistleblower. Oh my God. Styles. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, you know, I don't need to do these interviews. I don't gain anything from these interviews. So why would I subject myself to, to harassment like this just so they can get their digs in? It's just not worth it to me. I'm not doing it anymore. And I'll tell you the truth. I, I just can't watch MSNBC anymore. Neither can I, can't. I, I mean, for comedic value, I do. And or it if seems I like wanted to tweet them, yeah. And they, and they weren't terribly, it turned out in the end, terribly interested in your point of view on the whistleblower story anyway, right? They no. Thought, yeah, they thought you were going to be like, yeah, rah, rah, right? But you, you were... That's right. You weren't even saying negative things. You, you were just saying, <laughs> we, we just have to kind of wait and see, right? That was the funny thing about the whole interview. The substance of the interview was him asking me nine ways from Sunday to endorse what the CIA whistleblower was saying. And I kept saying, but I don't think this is a whistleblower. Right. You know, I, there there really is such a thing as a deep state. You don't have to call it the deep state. Right. You don't have to be conspiratorial about it. You can just call it, like I call it, the federal bureaucracy. Yeah. Right. And, and at the CIA, we have this, this thing, this leadership level called the Senior Intelligence Service, SIS. Mm -hmm. And people who have been or who are SIS have been at the CIA for 25 years and 30 years and 35 years. And they know that they can outweigh presidents. They can outweigh this president. Presidents come and go. And they don't. They're there forever. So if you don't like Jimmy Carter, which they didn't, or, or uh, Bill Clinton, or Donald Trump, you just ignore the guy. And you wait for him to go away after four years or eight years. Right. That's what the deep state is to me. Right. right. I like that federal bureaucracy. Was yeah, that, no, that, yeah, that'll, that'll be term. easier. Because yeah, no, that's another thing they use, the conspiracy theorist or the Trumpian. Right. To, to yes. discredit people. Yeah, and they, they even yes. kind of lean into the, word, to the term deep state 
in order to discredit it. Yeah. Right. They meant they bring yes. it up as many as many times as they can. Uh, just just to yeah. absolutely right yeah. yeah so you wrote a, a book that you that, that I, I just finished reading this weekend doing time like a spy and we were talking about this off off air i, I don't know why it, uh well apparently there, there's some news on this front but this should be a this should be a movie yeah. so the premise of this book it's, it's all true <laughs> you you you're set, yeah. to, set to do your 30 months for for the 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 crime that you talked about and you think you're going to go to minimum security work camp in Loretto, yes. Pennsylvania, and you show up. And I think probably most people don't realize this, that even if you're recommended to go to minimum security yeah, prison, the Bureau of Prisons doesn't have to do that, right? They, no. They, yeah, they can just sort of decide. So you, you show up and you end up in real prison. And basically the book is about how you used your CIA skills to negotiate two years of hard time. Mm-hmm. And uh, so talk first about that. What was that first realization like when you when you realized, oh, my God, I'm going to have oh. to. Yeah, you're going to I'm going to have to do something, you know, be in a real prison for a couple of years and, or, or more. And uh, how are yeah. you going to navigate that? You know, when, when you first go to prison, it's the oddest experience. You're in a state of shock. You can't believe that this is happening to you. And what you do is you you literally just drive to the prison or have somebody drive to the prison and you knock on the door and you say, hi, I'm John Kiriakou. I'm here to turn myself in. And they say, oh, okay, come on in. They put you through the metal detector and then they process you. It's the most bizarre experience. So as you, as you noted, the judge recommended that I go to the minimum security work camp. Camps are generally attached to a higher level prison across the street. Because in the event of a riot, it's the campers that do the cooking, do the laundry, mop the floors, make the prison run. And, uh, you know, there are no bars on the windows, no fences, no locks on the doors. You're on your honor not to abscond. You can come and go as you please. And most people work in town, sweeping floors at the local university or whatever. And so I got there and, and I turned myself in and the cop takes me outside and starts walking me around to the back of the actual prison. I said, no, no, I'm supposed <laughs> to be at the, at the camp across the street. And he kind of chortled and he said, not according to my paperwork, you're not. Wow, yeah. And I told myself, take it easy. There's nothing you can do. If you raise a stink, they're going to put you in solitary. So don't say anything. So I didn't, I didn't say anything. And it took me five days to get access to a phone my first call was to my lawyer and I said, hey, they put me in the actual prison with the drug dealers and the mafia dons and the pedophiles. What the do cho- I do? The chomos. Right? The chomos, yeah, yeah. which was a whole other experience. Oh, child molesters? Yeah, child yeah. molesters. Yeah. And he said, oh my God. Well, he said, we could file a motion, but it'll be two years before we, we get a hearing. He said, you'll be home by then. I'm sorry, buddy. You're just going to have to tough it out. <sighs> And so I, I said to myself, you have lived in far worse places than Loretto, Pennsylvania. And I've gone nose to nose with men a lot tougher than the clowns that I ended up locked up with or being subordinate to. So I decided I was just going to take these lessons, these life lessons the CIA taught me, and I was going to use them to ensure that I remain safe and at the top of the of the social heap and if that meant manipulating people then i was going to manipulate them the book almost reads like a how-to of how to how to 
cope in really any environment, but you talk about the, the four different things that people respond to when you're trying to manipulate them to, I guess you're, you're trying to recruit basically spies and people yes. informants. So there's revenge, greed, ideology, and excitement, right? And, and yes. uh, can you talk about what an example, like what, what's, what's an example of how to get, they use an, uh, an example of how to get somebody to, for instance, steal something out of a CEO's uh, office or right, like, yeah. like clips or something like that. Like, how, how do you use those those techniques to to get somebody on your side? Let me preface this by saying that when I when I wrote the book, I asked uh, Oliver Stone if he would uh, write a blurb for me. I, I've known Oliver for a long time. He's a he's a good guy. I consider us to be friends. He said, "Sure, I'll write a blurb." You notice that no blurb from Oliver appears on this book. <laughs> so uh, so I sent it to him and. You know, we were coming up to deadline, so I called him and I said, hey, Oliver, um, I really need that blurb. Can you get it to me? And he kind of exhales. <sighs> he said, all right, listen, I read this book. I think you come across as a total asshole. <laughs> and I don't think I want my name associated with it. <laughs> you, can you pass me the book, actually? Yeah. So uh, to give you an example of, of manipulating somebody to get something I need, you mentioned clips or right. you know these binder clips these metal clips oh that's okay yeah right well you're not allowed to have those in prison they're considered to be contraband but every once in a while you'll see one because somebody stole one out of the, the warden's office well what you do is you identify the guy who mops the floor in the warden's office i also needed highlighters which are also considered contraband and so you get close to this guy who mops the floor and you you try to learn what's important to him. One of the things I learned in prison is everybody's innocent and everybody's appealing his case, right? right? Even though they're all actually guilty and appealing their cases. Right. So you talk about how you were wronged by the justice system and I bet you were wrong too. I bet they're trying to screw you so you can't appeal your case. You know what those bastards did to me? They took all my my binders. I wish I could get back at them, you know, <laughs> and the warden was talking smack about you the other day. I overheard him in the hall and then you let him say, hey, you know what? They have binders in the uh, in the warden's office. I've seen them like it's his idea. Right. Yeah. Right. Like, then, oh, man, I yeah. I sure could use I sure could use some of those binders. And, you know, we should get back at that bastard. <laughs> and next thing you know, you know, there are some binders laying on your pillow when you get back after lunch. Right. And you've got a you got a friend for for the duration. Right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. You better not go back to jail. No. Because people are going to know about this book. Yeah, they're going to see they're it gonna coming. Be, uh, they'll yeah. be smart about your. Yeah. Ups, I'm surprised it's on not it. banned in, in jail. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm almost offended that it's not. Yeah, I know. It should be. Yeah. This whole thing happen, happening now with Ukraine and the... This, these sort of dueling investigations that are d dominating Washington right now. There's the, the, the Durham investigation on, on the one hand of the origins of Russiagate, and all of your former colleagues are sort of heavily talking about that. Um, and then, then there's the Ukraine situation with the whistleblower and impeachment and all that. How do you see all this playing out? What do you think is actually going on here? I mean, it's, it's a very complicated tableau. It is complicated. Um, I think Donald Trump probably did commit impeachable acts. Um, I think that in in public speeches he has he has expressed willingness to commit other impeachable acts, like on Sunday when he said he wanted to take Iraq's oil. 
uh, or when he said that he wanted to bring back waterboarding and a hell of a lot worse. <laughs> um, I think those are impeachable acts. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think that the Democrats, on the other hand, may be going about this whole thing the wrong way. Uh, I know that the rules were imposed by the Republican majority when, when they controlled the House, but that doesn't mean that closed sessions are the right thing to do. And so uh, I think that it's to the benefit of the American people to have literally all of the information out there. I think that we deserve the information so that we can make our own judgments. But I think Donald Trump probably has put himself in a corner that he's not going to be able to get out of. You were an investigator for the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. Is it normal? Like the thing, obviously, there's there's very often closed hearings, the things that go ha- go on in the SCIF and the, the 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 controlled. Uh, right. What does that stand for? I don't even remember. Uh, secure. Uh, compartmentalized information facility, maybe yeah. facility. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I guess the question is: is is there anything that's odd about having an impeachment hearing out of the out of the intelligence committee? Yeah. See, this is this is a big difference from the impeachment hearings of the Clinton administration and the Nixon administration. Uh, in those cases, there were joint committees. They were specifically. Uh, impeachment committees, select committees. Um, that's not the case now. Now this is being handled by the Intelligence Committee, which, you know, by its very nature is going to be um, secret. And they're going to have a lot of these hearings in the SCIF behind closed doors with no access to journalists. I think that that's a disservice to the American people. Uh, you know, we all remember things like, or we maybe we don't remember them, maybe we've seen uh, video clips of Howard Baker asking a witness in the Watergate hearings, what did the president know and when did he know it? Well, we deserve to hear the answers to those questions. So, yeah, I think that there should be a joint committee if the joint committee, uh, I'm sorry, if the Republicans uh, don't want to have their members serve in the joint committee, at the very least, there should be a select committee that meets in open session. Um. Just a few more questions. I'll ask you at once, and then you can figure out which ones you want to answer. First one is, did you join the Republican Party, or did you just leave the Democratic Party? <laughs> no. And then, no. what happened to your pension? Did no. any Democrats defend you? And then, this is kind of a longer one, but Matt talks about, in a piece he wrote, about how people think that Donald Trump is, like, the worst thing that there is out there, and uh and that there's actually worse things that involves the intelligence community or the federal, what is it, federal, uh, what did you call it? Federal, federal bureaucracy. bureaucracy. I guess I was just really saying that they're, they're, more, they're potentially more dangerous yes, than Trump which is. which is yeah. why a coup isn't a good idea, for instance. So um, you, as someone who's been in the CIA, can you offer any insight into that? Do you agree with that? Um, and you don't have to. And yeah. you don't have to, but yeah, I thought, I thought that you would know yeah. about ha- what that would look like. Sure, I'm happy to answer all those questions. Okay. Um, number one, no, I'm not a Republican. Okay, I, I, will ne- I will never be a Republican. I can't be a Republican. Okay. I could see myself maybe, perhaps, someday being a Democrat again. But in the meantime, yeah. I consider myself to be part of what's called the libertarian left. And uh, I'm, I'm comfortable with that. Yeah. Um, my pension. Uh, as part of my conviction, the federal government confiscated my pension. I had $770,000 saved in that pension, 20 years of proud federal government service. And the only person who ever came to my defense was John McCain. Uh, John McCain sponsored an amendment to the National Defense Authorization Act to reinstate my pension. It was taken out in conference committee 
which we kind of expected. And he intended to to re-address it, and then he got sick, and then he died. And so I'm back at square one. Did, did they take, was that civil asset forfeiture? How did they, t- I mean, or did they just cancel it? How did they do that? Yeah, uh, it was, it's a cancel part of the culture. civil asset forfeiture uh, program. Wow. Um, yeah, and again, I was the only person that that had ever happened to. Uh, my attorneys now believe that uh, that was unconstitutional. And there's something called a, a writ of quorum nobis that we may uh, pursue. Um, I don't know. We'll see. If I don't get uh, the only reason I want a presidential pardon is to get the pension back. Mm. Uh, if I don't get the pension back, I'm going to have to work till the day I die. And so I'm kind of stuck. Right. Uh, your third question. Yeah, I think there are things and people that are a lot worse than than Donald Trump. You know, it's funny. Even a broken clock is right twice a yeah, day. Of right. Let's say Donald Trump is impeached, and let's say that somehow the Senate comes around and he's removed. That makes that makes President Pence, right. and that scares the daylights out of me because Pence is a is a true believer right. in so many things that so many of us uh, have fought against all these years. I don't trust Pence uh, in national security. I don't trust him in domestic uh, policy and domestic security. So, yeah, I think there are there are things that are a lot worse than Donald Trump out there. Yeah. All right. John, thank you so much for yeah. coming. I really and appreciate it. And no one's it. been punished, right? That's Except right. for you. None of the torturers were punished, right? L- literally none. The torturers, the people who who conceived of the torture, who implemented the torture, who destroyed the tapes showing the torture, who wrote the legal uh, the legal uh, positions advocating torture. Nobody. I'm and, the only one. And nobody's is uh, defending you now. As 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 whistleblowers are becoming apparently an exalted class, you're still not included in that. Well, he is, sometimes, yeah. No, sometimes I mean by I, I mean by the people who are the Rachel Maddows. I mean you to oh. us you are, but that's what I meant. Sorry, the no. official, the people who are no. now talking about it for the first time is what I mean. They're not retroactively right. putting you into it. Yeah, that's why we have to keep up the fight. You know, it's funny. We national security whistleblowers, there aren't many of us. And so we have kind of this club. Like right. we're all friends. We all we have dinner together. We go to events together and give speeches together. And it's become kind of a tightly knit group. Uh, but that's a shame. And a lot of you aren't available, right? I mean, you're in jail or you're in Russia or what have <laughs> yeah. you. Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. Gets in the way. John, thanks so much. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thank it. you so much. Thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Appreciate it. Take care now. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, so that was really interesting. Yeah, that was great. I don't have a lot of CIA friends. Do you have a lot of CIA friends? Sorry to interrupt you. Like again. former CIA friends? Yeah, or any CIA Could friends. I tell you? I'd have to <laughs> kill right. you, right? Maybe you are. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Someone yeah. actually once told me I should join the State Department. Really? I was like, uh-huh, okay, yeah. Wish yeah. me luck on that one. Sure, yeah. Um, I just want to clarify that I wasn't like face-shaming John Brennan. <laughs> I mean his scowl. He just looks so angry. And, he does have and, a scowl. Like, yeah. I mean, he's not... Yeah, I'm not going to judge his face. Which I don't is, think it was his face that they were hiring when they when they made him a, a, an oh MSNBC contributor. Yeah, he contributor. looks so, yeah, yeah. Oh, Clapper, too. Clapper Cla- looks like a little troll. You'd almost like him if he were good. Yeah, He'd Cla- be a cute Clapper little looks, elf. It's something like that Industrial Light and Magic would make, yeah. you know, for for something like, I don't know, a movie like Willow or something yeah, like that. Exact. Right? Oh, yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. He is like a little like Willow grows guy. out of the yeah. ground or something. Yeah. He's yeah. a very scary looking dude, actually. But he, but if he were good, he'd be a cute, like, 
good creature. Yeah, he'd be like like a Yoda. Oh, like a Yoda. Like, like a Yoda. A, he yeah. does. He does have a little Yoda thing. Yeah. Yeah. Where is? But Yoda. Yoda is cute. I know, but I'm saying if Clapper were good, we'd find him cute in a Yoda way. Yes. Yeah, so now I'm imagining Frank Oz's hand up of oh, Clapper's yeah. back. You're That's... not the first person who's imagined that. That's a thing. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, all right, excellent. So yeah, no, that, was um, that, that was that was interesting, and I think it was it's worth talking to him just because suddenly we were all having to become experts in this like world that none of us knows anything about, right? Because these intelligence terms are are becoming right. the, the, the impeachments being run out of the intel committee. None of us really knew how that committee works or any of these terms or anything. So people like him are becoming more of a a resource. Yeah. And it also is really scary. I mean, it's like something that I feel like joins the whole show together, including the name of our show, is that if you are critical in a way that ever lines up with Trump, ever lines up with Putin uh, or RT, you're... They they just use that against you, right? And it's really infuriating. And it's like you constantly kind of have to check what you're saying or how you're saying it, right? And even when he said how he got on, on Tucker Carlson and and thanks to your tweet, and I'm <laughs> sure you're thinking like, great, yeah, exactly. But That's going to be viral. It's not your fault. Like yeah. it's not that doesn't make you right wing. The fact that for political reasons only the right wing is picking it up is a failure of the left right. and liberals. It's not because you're a right winger. Well, the whole whistleblower thing was. Like when when that came up, I was all I thought to myself was, where was all this when all these other whistleblowers right. were, were Chelsea coming out? Chelsea Manning, yeah, exactly. Snowden, yeah. Kiraku. And I thought that was kind of more of a progressive take, but you know, whatever. Now, now it's all been kind of flipped. So. Yeah, I mean, as Glenn Greenwald said about um, Snowden, if he had come out during the Bush administration instead of the Obama one, MSNBC would have a big. Um, statue of him in front of uh he'd have a show yeah he'd have a show right yeah and we'd hate him yeah well i feel (laughs) like he's too no No. but i feel like he wouldn't last that long you know he'd be like i'm not going to say these things i refuse to yeah that's my impersonation of him i can't really impersonate him yeah he's he's not he's not really hammy enough for tv i I like him though yeah well thanks for tuning in to useful idiots and we'll uh, review us on itunes yeah because because pod save america is terrible pod save americanists win right I'm Michael Toscano, hoping you'll join me on the First Light Podcast. We get to the heart of the event shaping our world as our correspondents check in and we talk with newsmakers and people who can take us behind the headlines. The First Light Podcast, wherever you get podcasts.